Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions with your host, Reverend Paul John Roach. So hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. Yes, I'm your host, Paul John Roach, coming to you from Fort Worth in Texas. And if you're listening live, we are still right in the midst of the uh, coronavirus escapade, and uh, hopefully we're all staying safe and well. Today is week three in our eight-week series on unity and world religions. Uh, The first show was an introduction, and last week I had the, the wonderful Reverend Jim Gaither with me to discuss unity and Christianity. And today I'm honored to welcome Alan Edelman to the show to talk about Judaism. Alan has a bachelor's degree in child development and education, a master's in um, Jewish education, and uh, he's also got another master's actually in education policy and leadership. So a well-educated man. He served in a number of uh, roles in the education field uh, as part of his profession and uh, is uh, highly involved as, as a volunteer. Currently, he serves as the Jewish director of the Greater Kansas City Interfaith Council. Um, he's very involved with peace work, serves on several boards, and that's just the start of it. So we have somebody that's highly involved um, and uh, obviously knows what they, they're talking about when it comes to Judaism. So thank you so much for being on the show, Alan. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. You know, our show uh, is uh, obviously based in in the Unity Principles, but the Unity Principles are very broad. I would say, you know, they they um, they embrace the the essence of of all religions. At least that's the way I like to look at it. The golden thread within all um, all cultural traditions. But uh, in in Unity, Alan, we have the five basic truth principles, which I talked about in the first show, and I'll just outline them for you and for the for, for who's listening today, just as a reminder, the first one is there's one presence and one power, God the good. There is no opposing force in the universe to the unity perspective. Um, because of that, we are inherently good. We are of the, of the divine. We, we are part of the, the offspring of God. Um, that We believe in the law of mind action, which is the creative power, formative power of thought, um, and then affirmative prayer, rather than begging, we affirm. And then finally, none of that's any good unless you put it into action in your life. Um, you have to live it. So in a nutshell, those are the, the five unity, basic unity principles, right? And, I, and I, so I wanted to ask some questions, um, uh, you know, from a Judaic perspective, you know, how, how that might correlate with, uh, with 
that understanding, that tradition. So let's let's talk about the nature of God. Um, I know in the in in the Jewish tradition, you know, it's it's monotheistic, right? There is only the one God. Yes. Correct. And it's invoked every day, presumably. Um, the, the 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 Shema, the that the teach the uh, the scripture, right, which comes from the Torah, and Correct. affirms that. Correct. Absolutely. So uh, I, the, the, the principles of the unity movement that you mentioned uh, are pretty much aligned with Judaism, uh, except for when it comes to prayer, we do a lot of begging. So <laughs> as, as I think most religions do. Uh, and as they say, there's no atheist in a foxhole. So, you know, when it comes to prayer, most of us are kind of in that begging mode. Uh, but, right. but I like I like the idea of affirming affirming. And uh, I emphasize that when I teach prayer that uh, easy to beg, uh, sometimes not so easy uh, to 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 acknowledge, uh, affirm and praise. Um, right. And we have to be reminded of that even even in our interpersonal relations. So, so certainly, certainly, God is presented in the Hebrew Bible uh, anthropomorphically, because that's the easiest way for us uh, limited uh, minds to to understand um, a relationship with another entity. Um, but, but interestingly enough, uh, because the focus of our law is really a relationship between one another, uh, which takes precedence, really. Um, over our relationship with God. And I think because God, uh, if there is a God, God understands that it's hard for us in our finite way of understanding the world to appreciate an omnipotent, omniscient, incorporeal being. And it's clear that throughout our history, certainly biblical history, we had a hard time with that uh, and backslided regularly uh, and had to constantly be reminded of it, even in the face of Miracles of the Exodus from Egypt, splitting of the Red Sea. Um, you know, the next day we're building a golden calf because we missed the gods of Egypt. So it, it's, it's a challenge. And I think that's why in some ways, um, it, it, you know, in the book of Leviticus, I think the most dramatic example, in the middle of the book of Leviticus, which is a, a, a book that's not too relevant today because it's all about sacrifices and what the priests wore and you know, details that we don't even uh, observe today, but smack dab in the middle of that uh, book, which because it's the third of five books, it's exactly the middle of the whole Torah, the whole law, the five books of Moses. Uh, we have the chapter 19 holiness code from where we get love your neighbor as yourself and so many other moral principles. And indeed, many rabbis throughout um, the, the, the centuries, uh, the 4,000 years of our history, have emphasized that the essence of Judaism is love your neighbor as yourself, the rest is commentary, now go and study. And as ritualistic as we are, if all that ritual doesn't lead to um, strengthening the relationship with fellow human beings, uh, and again, 36 times in the Torah, it says, love the stranger because you were strangers in the land of Egypt and treat them equally. Um, and so um, that has nothing to do with God. So when I um, used to be principal of, the, of a religious school and I taught confirmation, my students, many of those high school students, um, cynical uh, as they are, uh, would often walk into class and say, I don't believe in God. This is all a bunch of BS. So, you know, I'm, I'm out of here. And I said, well, sorry, that doesn't get you off the hook because um, an argument could be made that you can be an agnostic 
and maybe even an atheist uh, and still qualify for being a good Jew, which, you know, when I'm teaching in um, many Christian settings, particularly Catholic, it's kind of a mind blower since so much of Christianity is based on faith in Jesus, um, the Trinity, etc. cetera. Uh, and in Judaism, so if you have a hard time believing in God, it's okay. God really cares more or our tradition cares more about interpersonal relations, not only with a stranger, obviously, but with your own family, your own community, uh, and, and out from there to the world that, that, that God created, if you believe in God, again, uh, but the world that exists and our relationship within that world. Yeah, very interesting. It, it seems to correlate with the, the interest that many Jewish people have with, with Buddhism. You know, the, they call them Jew-boos, I think. The certain people who identify as Jewish but also are interested in the Buddhist tradition because the Buddhist tradition doesn't necessarily have a god, you know, and, um, but it's got a high ethical system based on love and compassion, pretty much what you're talking about here. Uh, and also a highly refined spiritual psychology. And that's one thing I like about uh, Judaism in general. And, you know, the study of the Torah or other scriptures is uh, the levels of subtlety involved, right? It's, it's constantly being interpreted and reinterpreted. And, uh, you know, people from the past are invoked. And, and then there's discussions around those great people and the great, great figures. Uh, Etc. So um, there's, ne there's never there's never an end to the uh, intellectual rigor of it, if you like. No, absolutely, and, and really the critical, you know, the, the the rabbis who lived at the time of Jesus, at the, the, the turn of the centuries, um, who uh, had to transform Judaism from temple uh, sacrifices um, uh, to uh, the synagogue um, and prayer and the performance of commandments, the perfect commandments, um, you know, really had that had that challenge, but were, were ingenious in interpreting the five books of Moses and understanding that um, God is everywhere. And unlike the pagan cultures where the, the, the idol, the statue of the God in the temple was, was critical, not only critical, but everything. And once those stone idols were destroyed, uh, that was the end of those religions because they had their God was dead as far as they were concerned, and the power that uh, that conquered them, uh, their God must have been stronger than our God. So we just assimilate into that culture. But that didn't happen with the with the ancient Israelites after the Babylonians destroyed the first temple in 586 BCE, or after the Romans destroyed it in the year 70. Uh, and and the covenant with God. Um, whether established with Abraham or uh, confirmed at Sinai with Moses after we left Egypt um, or after the destruction of the temple. Uh, the idea was that there, there is plenty in that, that that covenant is everlasting and there is more than enough within that five books of Moses, the blueprint of Jewish life, um, to keep us going just about every day with, as you mentioned, pray, praying uh, three times uh, a day. Uh, every month except for one has a, has a holiday. Uh, the Sabbath each week. So, you know, you can spend, the, the Torah itself has 613 commandments. Every time God says to somebody, do something, that's a commandment. So the first commandment uh, was given to um, uh, humankind to observe the Sabbath, because God rested on the Sabbath day and made it holy. Uh, a couple of verses later, God commands us to be fruitful and multiply. 
he commands Abraham to circumcise his son at eight days. And then, of course, the majority of the commandments in Exodus and Leviticus um, reiterated and some introduced in Deuteronomy. So, so you got plenty to keep us very, very busy. And of the 613, because there's no temple around, we're down to about 250. That, again, keeps you plenty busy every day of the year, 24 <laughs> There we go. As long as you don't take them too, you know, literally, right? Not, uh, in unity, we have uh, what we call metaphysical interpretation, which is a sort of a symbolic or spiritual interpretation of, of Scripture, um, and which which cause has, has antecedents, doesn't it, in in Judaism, right? Because um, I've read books where they talk about there's seven levels of meaning in the Bible, right? From the from the very literal to the the deepest, most mystical interpretation, and all through historical and allegorical, etc. So um, fascinating stuff. Depending on where we are at a particular time in our in our in our consciousness, right? We can we can see things or feel things in the in the in the text that um, that, that are revealed to, to that um, that open that open mind, right? That right, that, right. Uh, that awareness. Yeah, and, and and I think that's important because a, a very dramatic example of that, uh, because in addition to the, of this very spiritual, there's also very practical interpretation. God gave the laws to live by. So for me, one of the most dramatic examples of that is is um, homosexuality gay relationships, which in the Bible, of course, that those who are opposed to it love to point out that it's an abomination. Uh, they love that word abomination. Um, and if they really studied the Torah, what they would really understand is that every time the word abomination is used, it is something that was prevalent in the pagan world. Uh, and, and many Jewish scholars have pointed out that the Torah um, is, is really an anti-pagan polemic. That, uh, and again, as I mentioned before, one of our great challenges is, is not slipping back into a pagan way and remembering that we have this holiness. Some would define the opposite of, of, of hedonism is, is holiness in, in a Jewish sense. And the word kadosh, when that comes up, it's often in contradistinction to what pagans did. So what happens, jump ahead to the 20th century, and you have God-fearing, god observing Jews. I mean, there are people who grew up as Orthodox Jews, observing the dietary laws, observing as much as you can observe, and they discover that they are homosexual. Do we say that, well, well of course, they're not pagans. They're, they're not associating their homosexuality. And then we begin to understand homosexuality in a totally different way, not in an anti-pagan polemic based on what pagans did in their temples, etc., etc., because the next verse says, or having sex with animals, which pagans did as well. So what do you do uh, in this new world where you're coming to understand homosexuality in a different way, and, and you understand the Torah is talking about, again, an anti-pagan polemic? This person is not a pagan. This person believes in God. This person is observing God's commandments. Uh, you, you, you can't say that person's an abomination, and you can't exclude him or her from Jewish life. And even the Orthodox, the Orthodox sort of had a don't ask, don't tell policy in the beginning, but no Orthodox synagogue would deny, uh, let's say, a Torah honor, somebody being called to the Torah, because they were homosexual. Um, the ultra-Orthodox world, of course, kind of just tries to deny the whole thing. Um, and, and that's why many within the ultra-Orthodox community who find themselves identifying as homosexuals have, have to basically leave the community. But they're leaving it for many other <laughs> reasons besides that. 
Uh, some of your listeners may have watched the, the, the popular TV show, Unorthodox, um, a four-part series, a fascinating uh, um, dramatization of uh, a woman who leaves the ultra-Orthodox world uh, um, that, she, that is oppressing her, basically. Uh, and there's many stories about these things. But, but so I, I, you know, I, I, I wanted to mention that because, as you pointed out, there's many ways to interpret um, and, and some of them are to take us to a spiritual level or a mystical, as you said, level, but some are very, very practical and are very, very important if, in fact, we want to, we want to welcome everybody and anybody um, who chooses to embrace um, Jewish life. Right. Well put. And, and also, the, you know, it's a big book, isn't it? The, uh, <laughs> the, the Old Testament, Hebrew Bible or whatever. Um, but it has very, very little reference to homosexuality. You know, that's one of the only scriptures, I think, that, that refer to it. So mm-hmm. it's not like it was a big topic here. Um, but also, you know, if, you, if you're wearing a polyester cotton blend, you, you are an abomination. And uh, if you're exactly. eating shellfish or going to Red Lobster, you are an abomination too, you know. So, you know, we have to read the whole book, not just, right. you know, selected parts that suit our tastes, right? Right. Um, but as you, we, as you know, that's the, great, that's the great sin of religion and religious leaders who pick and choose uh, and are and are political uh, rather than spiritual. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Very good. So, um, so, so okay. If God is sort of put on the shelf there, you know that you don't necessarily have to have God. It's it's more about uh, an ethical system of of uh, a tradition of uh, how do we live with each other, right? So let's talk about the, um, the in unity. We would say we are inherently divine. You know, we, we call it the Christ Spirit. You could call it. Uh, you know, some essence of spirit or the Buddha nature, whatever. Um, is, is there that equivalency in, in Judaism that, uh, you know, human beings are inherently divine or have that spark of divinity within them? Uh, absolutely. The, the, the Hebrew word nishama, um, when God creates Adam, he breathes the soul into him. Um, and that we regard as coming from the divine um, and the, the word neshama uh, uh, means breath, it means soul, uh, it can mean spirit, uh, it means many, many different things, but it has that, uh, that, that level of, of uh, divinity uh, implied within it. We're all created in the image of God, so what does that mean? God doesn't look like you or me. Uh, phys- a physical sense, it means in a spiritual sense. Right. So again, very, very similar to uh, a viewpoint that we might hold in, in unity. And in fact, we quote, you know, Genesis 1, 26, 27, you know, which is that that uh, quote that we are made in the image image and likeness um, mm-hmm. by Elohim. Right. Which is a plural form. So, again, it may, it's it's the the assembly of the gods, so, so to speak. And you could interpret that as the various aspects of God. You know, in unity, we talk about divine ideas, that there's there's only one God, but God shows up in, in many different ways uh, with different um, qualities. Um, would that be consistent also, that, uh, you know, that, that God being God, omnipresent, omnipotent, whatever, can do what, what he or she likes? Sure, absolutely. And as I said before, it's hard for us to understand 
the nature of God because we are finite in our thinking, but the different names of God, there are many names for God uh, in, in the Torah, um, in, in, the, in the original Hebrew, um, Abraham related to him in the, by the name Shaddai, which is Hebrew for the one who provides for all your needs. And that, that kind of bespeaks the relationship that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had. And then God reveals God's self to Moses as yod heh vav -Hey, the the ineffable four-letter uh, word which might be pronounced Yehovah, which is where Jehovah's Witnesses got their um, name. Uh, we don't know how that's pronounced. It was only pronounced one um, one time during the year by the high priests in, on Yom Kippur in the Temple, the Holy of Holies. And I can only say it now um, because I'm, I'm teaching, um, because one would, you know, you shouldn't. And, and when, it, when it appears in the Torah or in a prayer book, we say Adonai. When we say yud heh vav -Hey, which, if you look at the vowels, is Yehovah Ye Ye or Yehovah. Some say it's it's basically just God's breath, uh, just a whole breath. All these letters, Yehovah, are all breathing. Um, so we just don't know how it's pronounced. Um, and the rabbis sort of said they saw the, the two most popular uh, names are Elohim, as you pointed out, which is kind of the royal plural, the royal we. Um, and that, the rabbi said, is God's attribute of stern justice. And yod heh vav -Hey is God's attribute of, of mercy and, and love. So that's how the rabbis kind of dealt with this. Uh, as we know, biblical scholars uh, have dealt with it by um, theorizing that there were different uh, authors of the five books of Moses. Um, the source that used Elohim, the source that used yod heh vav -Hey, uh, a priestly source, and then the book of Deuteronomy which, because of its linguistic style and language, uh, appears to be a later uh, a later book altogether. And when it was edited, we're not clearly sure. Some would say during the Babylonian exile. Um, again, it's 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 really irrelevant. But 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 you're correct. There are different names of God, and because of that, and then of course there's Adonai, my my Lord, um, in in the sense of master. Um, and and at different times in our different prayers. Um, each of those different names um, expresses a different relationship that we have with God. Uh, and some of the more uh, contemporary interpretation uh, translations of Hebrew prayers, um, the, the translator has chosen to not just say God or Lord, which is what most translators do, but ha have somehow woven that attribute of God into the translation, which, which I like a lot. Yes, interesting. Well, it's similar to Taoism, you know, where it says the Tao that can be named is not the real Tao, whatever. It, mm -hmm. It's the ineffable. You, you can't really put a name to it. So so it's um, any attempt to try is you're kind of missing the point. You know, you, then you're back into the, your intellect rather than in your direct experience of, of whatever this is. So, you know, I, I like that idea that it's not easily named. You know, in Hinduism, they say God... You know, God has many names. You know, God is formless but takes many forms, mm -hmm. and and has many different names. But but there is only one. And uh, you know that that's sort of the same idea, isn't it? It's um, it's something that you want to approach in a different way rather than just with the uh, academic rigor, right? We're not going to get to the divine through through academic rigor. But on the other hand, you you have to study also to be wisely informed. I think so. It's sort of a conundrum in in and of itself. Um, right. So most lovely. People, yeah, most people would just rather think of this old man up in the clouds, 
Right. Got with skin on, right? Exactly, exactly. And a beard and just a very old gentleman. Right. And a male, male, by the way. (laughs) Yes. And that brings me to, before we break uh, in a couple of minutes, sort of the female form has taken some uh, credence in recent times, certainly in sort of new agey circles, right? The, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but the Shekinah, uh, Shekinah, Shekinah, Shekinah. Uh-huh. The, the female presence or whatever that, that uh, you'll see in, in Kabbalistic thinking, but, but mm-hmm. also it's in the Bible, right? Yeah, yeah, it, 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 it doesn't have a mystical sense in the Bible. Shekhinah comes the word, from the word Shekhin, the same word as neighbor, uh, the one that dwells among the people. In, in, before we had a temple in Jerusalem, when we were wandering through the desert, we had the Mishkan, uh, the place that God dwelt among the people. And that's the that's the root of that. So, and it's interesting, as you pointed out, in the mystical svirot, in the levels of the seven levels uh, from from earth to heaven, uh, and and God's different manifestations along that uh, along that ladder, if you will, from earth to heaven, the 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 the, the attribute of God that is on this earth is the shekhinah, and that it's a feminine word. Which is why uh, Hebrew words that end in ah and the, the ah vowel and a hey are feminine. So the the, the it's, it, it's quite frankly, it's pretty advanced. Although there was a lot of sexuality within the mystical tradition, um, um, so maybe it's not so surprising <laughs> that, that 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 attribute that that aspect of God, the Shekhinah, would that that's the one that dwells on earth, and that's the one that we can become closest to is feminine. Uh, that, didn't right. stop, that didn't stop them from, of course, not translating, you know, all the prayers of God to he. So obviously, because of the women's movement, um, um, many prayer books are sensitive not to use the pronoun um, uh, he, but to rather, or she, uh, but to rather always say God, or uh, as I said before, my, my favorite prayer book is the Reconstructionist prayer book. Um, a movement which ironically began in, in the 50s and 60s around the idea that people didn't believe in God. So the fact that they've come around to be so spiritual, but that's the prayer book that translates God, uh, the various um, places where the Hebrew God appears using attributes of God rather than God, Lord. So sometimes they do, um, but uh, never he, never he or she. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so so there's, right. there's definitely a consciousness, and there are many rabbis who in who who choose, even though their own prayer book may say he, they choose to be sensitive when they're doing responsive readings to say God, Lord, whatever. I I try and do that when I read prayers. All right, we're at the break. I'm with Alan Edelman. We're talking about unity and Judaism. Join us in a couple of minutes after these messages from Unity. Practical spirituality. Positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. 
All right, welcome back to today's show. We're talking about unity in Judaism. I'm with Alan Edelman, and we've been looking at the, the fascinating um, commonalities between two, the two traditions, and uh, especially in relation to uh, the divinity of man, uh, nature of God. And now we're going to look at the formative power of thought. You know, in Proverbs, it says, uh, as a man thinketh in his heart, so, so is he, right? That there's that uh, very unity statement for us, you know, that we, we talk a lot about uh, the law of mind action, whatever we think and feel deep within us is what's going to come forth into into actuality. Um, and you better be careful what you ask for, right? Because sometimes <laughs> you might get it. So is is that also something that obviously it's there in the Bible, right? Yeah, for, for sure. And and I think, you know, one of the challenges of, of Judaism is we have a lot of commandments that have to be performed at certain times when you pray three times a day and prayer is supposed to be, um, you know, the service of the heart, it's, it's referred to by the rabbis, uh, uh, well, well, it's that tension between uh, set time uh, and, and, and spiritual intention. Um, so how, how do you, knowing that you have to pray the morning service within a certain time frame and those certain words that are in the prayer book, same with the afternoon, same with the evening, how do you, keep it spiritual how do you keep it intense intense intentional and all of the all of the prayers we have a blessing before you eat and a blessing after you eat and a blessing you know, anytime god commands something we we are commanded to eat matzah on passover so we have to say a blessing for that. so how do you balance the 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 time-bound ritual with with having some kind of spirituality and and the, and the mystical tradition of judaism really kind of introduced Kava uh, note, intentional prayers that you would say, you know, two, three sentences before you would say that all important blessing. So you, 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 you want our, our prayer like your prayer is meaningless. Um, as, as the prophet said, God's not interested in your sacrifices if you then abandon the widow and the orphan and the stranger. So, you know, keep, keep your animals. God, God doesn't eat these things anyway. Um, I, I, I often I often like to say uh, I wish God would have um, at Mount Sinai said you know uh, sacrificing is a very pagan thing I don't want you to sacrifice here's a prayer book I want you to pray I want you to do these commandments uh, don't slaughter animals those are my creation okay so God didn't do that for whatever reason uh, so um, but but that's the challenge but but to your point yes um, and it's and it's particularly challenging within Judaism, uh, because the other the other challenge that we have is in the category of the commandments between ourselves and God, such as praying three times a day, such as the ritual, the uh, the, the dietary laws, um, many of those things that uh, do not relate to um, our relationship with our fellow human being, uh, and then we have those others. So. You have a lot of people um, who believe that as long as they keep God happy by strictly observing dietary laws and the Sabbath and some of the more ritualistic things, eh, they can slack off a little bit when it comes to the moral and ethical, i.e. not treat people fairly. And that could be domestic within your own home. And it could be in your place of business. Um, and you had many rabbis throughout the centuries chastising their congregants in much the same way the, pri the priests 
the prophets did in, in biblical times um, to say to them, um, you, you, you can't pass yourself off as being this, this you know, righteous um, person who observes all of the ritual commandments, keeping God happy, um, and then, uh, again, be, be uh, inappropriate, um, you know, domestic violence uh, occurs within the Jewish community like it does every community. Uh, unfair business practices uh, happen within Jewish communities like every community. So, you know, that's where the, the intent um, uh, has to be that these commandments lead you to ultimately being a good person, um, because that's what being created in the image of God is all about. Right. And of course, Jesus himself, a good Jew, you know, talked in the similar light, didn't he? You know, he he, he kept his worst scorn for the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees and the, the those which purported to follow the, the letter of the law, but weren't necessarily following the, the inner spirit of it. And um, and his teaching is all about, you know, the, the Leviticus uh, quotation you 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 read earlier, you know the idea that uh, to love your neighbor as yourself is sort mm-hmm. of essential, core yep. Jesus Christ teaching, right? But yep. how many of us actually practice that? You know, in 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 modern right. day Christianity, we pay lip service to it, perhaps, but it's it's tough to do, um, or we're unwilling to do it um, for one reason or another. And uh, but I you know I don't want to go off on that tangent because there's, there's a lot of aberrations in every in every tradition. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Um, we, you mentioned begging and and if, you know in terms of prayer and you know no, no nobody's an atheist in the foxhole exactly uh, you know you pray as you as you must in any given situation. Sometimes we want a God with the skin on. We want we want to you know uh, pray in a sort of a begging way. But but in, in Unity, affirmative prayer, I think, is this. It's um, it, it's talking about alignment, right? We are aligning with an essence within ourselves that that is good, and and so you know, it, once we understand who we are as spiritual beings, then the prayer becomes a little different. We're we're no longer seeing the separation, right, between us and and the divine. There's a, there's a continuity, and in the Bible, I love that statement where. You know, God says to Moses, take off your shoes, you know, because you're standing on holy ground. Wherever you are, right, is mm-hmm. uh, – and Jacob, when he was had his dream, you know, he called the place the Bethel, the house of God, because there there was the doorway, you know, to, to the divine right there when he was sleeping on the stone with his head on the stone. But everything's divine, even the stones. I think Shakespeare well, said angel, that. Yeah, and, and, uh, and, the, and the angels were going up and down. Wait a yes. Second. What do you mean yeah. up and down? You mean – you mean down, down and up? No, they were on Earth, right? There was, was a, there was a, there was a reciprocity, right? There was a, wasn't a one-way street here. Yeah, right, right, right. Well, I think, yeah, prayer, prayer is certainly always a challenge, um, and and the one prayer that many of our prayers, of course, come from the Bible, particularly the Book of Psalms, which is the ultimate book expressing you know so many emotions uh with our relationship uh in our relationship with god and and our fellow human being but but primarily god um and um the the one prayer that the rabbis wrote uh they they wrote other prayers but but they mostly edited from the scripture 
but uh, the Hebrew Bible. Um, but one prayer that they did write was called the, the 18 benedictions, which later they added another one. So there's 19 benedictions. And um, it, it's uh, also called the standing prayer because we stand at attention and there's a silent portion of that prayer. Um, uh, and um, the, there are 19 benedictions, as I said. There are three at the beginning that are standard, three at the end that are standard, and then the middle section is the section that during the week we beg. We ask God for, for things. Um, on the Sabbath and holidays, when, when we give God a break as well, we just recognize what day it is and thank God for making us holy through giving us that holy day. But during the week, uh, when we say it three times a day, that middle section is asking God everything from um, giving us health, giving us wisdom, um, um, restoring Jerusalem. You know, it's just it's lots of requests. But the way the rabbi structured it, I mentioned the same the three at the beginning, the same three at the end. So the way it works is the three at the beginning uh, sort of uh, are praising God, buttering up God, if you will. Um, it begins by reminding God that God established a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. So he has this, God has this um, responsibility, if you will, to maintain uh, the covenant that, that God established. Um, and then it, it ends declaring that God is holy. Um, so it's kind of a, a praising, uh, like you said, buttering God up. Then the last three at the end are thanksgiving. We thank God. So at least when the rabbi, the, the, the Yes, they were going to focus in the middle section on begging, asking God for things, but they did it in, 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 a, in a way that, that teaches an important lesson. You begin by praising, um, buttering up, <laughs> then you hit them with the request, God with the request, but then, uh, you know, you say thank you uh, for, for, for what you should be grateful for. And when I teach it, I, I often compare it to a kid who wants to, to, to borrow the car and he says, Mom, you look so nice today. Can I have the keys to the car? Thank you. Right. So butter mom up first, then ask her. But then, of course, thank her when she hopefully says yes. So, so yeah, it, it is begging, but the, the rabbis were at least sensitive enough to recognize that you need to begin by praising God and, and acknowledging God uh, in our relationship with God. And then after you do all that begging, thank God. Very good. You know, in unity, we have a tradition of spontaneous prayer. You know, we have, we do have our prayers, but uh, they're certainly not essential. And, and most people just spontaneously pray. And, you know, that's, that's a lovely thing. Cause I think it's, it, you know, it comes usually from, a deeper place sometimes than just rote prayers. But the downside is that, um, you know, we don't, we don't have that structure. It's kind of a little bit loosey goosey. And I think there's, there's room for the ritual, right? The ritual can be a base a foundation upon which you can build uh, a, a relationship. And I, right. I've been involved with the Hindu community in, in Wales for several decades. And they have basically six ceremonies a day, you know, where they just basically chanting the names of God. And, um, 
And, you know, when you listen to it, sometimes you think, my goodness, what is going on here? Uh, but as you allow yourself to be part of it, a, a part of the flow of it, you, you understand that it's endless praying and praise of the divine. Um, and so, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that gets into your bones. Uh, and I think this is the power of, of uh, repeated ritual, right, is, is that you don't you maybe you don't feel it one day or you you. You know, you wish you didn't have to do it, but the, the fact you're doing it is the is in and of itself the power, right? And eventually something breaks through. It's almost like uh, knocking a, a, a tough nut with a with a mallet. It may not work, you know, for the first twenty times, but then the twenty first time, the, you know, the nut opens. And uh, I, I think it's the same idea. You know, the work is being done. You're weakening the uh, the resistance of that nut, which is our heads, right? Mm -hmm. and, and opening to um, to something marvelous. But we, unless you put in the work, sometimes you don't get the results. Yeah, and and um, and just to reflect on what you said about um, spontaneous prayer, the last prayer of the um, requesting or begging section is thanking God for hearing our prayer. And the first two words is Shema Kolenu, hear my prayer. And then at that point, you can pause, say your own spontaneous prayer, and then continue that paragraph. And it ends with praised are you uh, who hears prayer. Right. Mm. Fascinating. Yeah. Off, off subject, why are so many uh, musicians and poets Jewish? They seem to be a, a very influential, don't they? I'm thinking about Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen as two examples of very different writers and, and songwriters, but but both exceptional um, in in their understanding. Is this is there something? Uh, is that just a coincidence, or is something well, going on here? You know, some some would say that you know the greatest poets uh, suffer. You know, they 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 have an inner struggle. Uh, right. and, and of course, because of the majority of our history um, of discrimination, persecution, um, we've 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 reflected uh, often um, on on those themes, and um, it, it's created within many of us uh, a tension that you know every year we gather on Passover to recall when we were slaves in Egypt, and we we pledge to be to to make sure. Again, that, that, that no one is enslaved. It's not just about us and our enslavement. Why were the first, many of the first whites uh, to be involved in the civil rights movement rabbis? Um, because we can't sit at Passover Seder uh, and decry slavery and not respond to it when, when it exists. And we have this moral imperative um, to, uh, as, as the prophets did, stand up at the risk of being um, jailed, as Jeremiah was, um, and others chastised. Um, um, we have that. It's, it, it's kind of like the combination of the Spirit of God and the need to make the world a better place, tikkun olam, um, in the rabbinic uh, mystical sense, uh, to repair the, 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 the world. Um, and at the same time, um, the, the suffering uh, that's so reflective of our history um, raises that consciousness, um, um, I, I think, also. And, and um, although many of these people uh, left uh, organized religion, 
uh, they took the spirit with them, you know, and I, and I, I say, oh, even though they aren't, you know, uh, a Paul Simon who's Jewish, and these people all had a great deal of influence growing up um, in the same way as, as many of the comedians did, um, with, especially with that generation that was lucky enough to get out of Europe and Russia at the turn of the century in the early 1900s and make it here, but they came with a lot of scars um, and they used humor um, to um, and, and music and poetry uh, to help them resolve some of that inner tension. Yes, very well put. Lovely. So, yeah, act, you know, putting it into action, that's our fifth principle. Um, and there's different ways to do that. You know, there's an inner interior way and an exterior way. For me, at least, the you know, interior ways when one transforms oneself so that you are a more loving human being in general, whatever you are, you know, whether you're doing good works, you're naturally good because you want to live that through your work in your family on the street, whatever. But then the other side is more external, is the, you actually go out and you know try and do some, some you know like civil rights, peace work, whatever, um, interfaith work. Um, helping people in need just be simply because that's like you said a moral imperative um so which is more important or, the, or do they do they nest together you know the, you have to work on yourself because in unity we spend a lot of time in our tradition transforming people individually one at a time um, and less on you know doing quote doing good in the community uh, though that's changing i think as we we desire to do that more but uh, the movement started as a you know inner transformation. Yeah, yeah, and I think I, Judaism is a very universal faith tradition, and, and certainly the prophets reminded us of that when they said, you know, God took you out of Egypt, but but God can elevate the Egyptians and make them powerful, um, and and you know you 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 can be you can choose to uh, act like God's chosen people, chosen, quote unquote, uh, or you can disappoint God. Um, and, and it almost always comes down to you know, how you're interacting with society, which is why the rabbis in the mystical tradition picked up on this idea of tikkun olam. We have to repair the world. Um, and, um, you know, even during um, the Roman conquest of, of Israel, uh, again, at the time of Jesus, um, they, they, they taught that you can't only just take care of your own community. You have to take care of the larger community because we're part of the larger community, um, if nothing else. So we can't, uh, you know, we may not be able to solve every problem, nor can we desist from attempting to do our part uh, in, in, in making, you know, the, the world a better place. And So how, how do you counter those people that would say that there's a certain exceptionalism in the Jewish tradition, you know, this very idea, we are the chosen people? It, it, it's not quite like that. They, they don't understand. They don't understand what chosenness means. They think it's exceptional and, and special, but there's a very... Is a very wonderful legend um, in the Talmud, um, where um, the rabbis uh, the rabbis tell the following story: God God took his Torah to all these different nations, uh, one one pagan nation after another, and they said, "Well, what's in it?" And one would say, "God would say, Thou shalt not steal.'" And they go, "Oh man, we, we, that's what we do. We hang out of the highway. When somebody comes along, we rip them off." Um, and God goes to the next places and tries to peddle it to them. Um, and they say, um, they say, well, tell us what's in it. And he said, thou shalt not commit adultery. He said, are you kidding me? You know, 
we have sex with anybody we want to. Yeah, forget about it. We're not interested. Um, and and I, I forgot to tell you that the rabbis came up with the story because in the Torah it says you know, when God gave the Torah, the people said "Naaseh v'nishma," we will accept and we will do, no questions asked. So that's why they came up with the same thing. So it comes to the Jewish people and they say, no. and, and God take God's frustrated because God's thinking, man, nobody's going to take my Torah. Um, and so God picks up Mount Sinai, holds it over their heads and said, will you take my Torah? And they said, we accept it. You know, no, no questions asked. So <laughs> on the one hand, they're looking really good in the Torah, but the rabbis knew that given the fact that a lot of people weren't uh, in, in, in playing along and and going along with the program, um, they, they they needed to you know so, sort of cre create that balance. So if you consider that chosen, <laughs> you know it, it, it's chosen, and, and and there's so much discussion about why did God you know choose such a, a weak, small, you know, we're, we're, we're less than two percent of the population, point two percent of the population. You know, we, we occupy this. God gave us this little piece of real estate that's the size of the state in New Jersey with horrible uh, resources, by the way, natural resources and a great piece of real estate, um, which is why nobody really settled there. <laughs> uh, so, so, so if you really th think of it long term, chosenness, we were lucky to be chosen. Uh, and and we have a responsibility in that chosenness, not an, an arrogance in that chosenness. Because if you look at what we chose, what we have chosen to do in accepting the covenant and the Torah, uh, it, it it's a lot. So there are a lot of people. You know, as, as Tevye said, couldn't you couldn't you choose somebody else for a change? Uh, and he's of course reflecting on the persecution and the and the, and the negative things that have happened uh, throughout our tradition. But. Um, so those people don't understand, you know, what 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 chosenness really really means. Um, right. We're not any better, and again, you got to you got to study the whole book to recognize we're no better than anybody else. And if anything, God requires more of us than God requires uh, of others. So um, that chosenness comes with a great deal of, of responsibility. Right. Lovely. Thank you for elucidating that and clarifying that. And, you know, for me, looking at it metaphysically, too, it's the idea that, you know, even in our weak brokenness, which we all are to a degree, you know, the, the divine speaks to us and says, who's going to go for me? Who's going to, uh, who, who can I send? And, and you know, we, we um, hesitatingly, but but with with that knowledge in our hearts, say, here I am, Lord, send me, right? It's quoting from Isaiah, I guess. Um, but but it's beautiful, isn't it, that we're called out, you know, we're, we're called out from our humanness into something larger. And when, when we when we obey that call, you know, wonderful things can happen. And, uh, you know, the, that's the saving of the world, the healing of the world, the repairing of the world, as, as you put it, um, can begin, you know, when, when we're willing to be counted. You know, we're one of the ones that are willing to, to, to do that work, which is which is lovely. All right. We have two minutes left. If you could say something we haven't covered today that you think is important for our listeners to know about Judaism. Well, I think uh, I mean, you're certainly, uh, you know, covered, covered uh, so, so many of the major points. I, I think you know, the, the important thing is that um, that that because of the role that so many Jewish people have chosen to take 
in terms of their professional, their professions, in politics, in leadership. Um, so often people ask me, how come there's so, there's so many doctors and lawyers and Nobel Prize winners, you know, who, who are Jewish? Um, and and I, I think some of them think that this is related to that chosenness. Um, and I and I always reflect on the and and, and why are, are so many Jewish people they live very comfortably um, and they have a lot of money, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I, I first of all uh, tell them that thirty six percent of our population lives below the poverty line, so we're not all wealthy. We're like everybody else, uh, and we have the a same percentage of children with special needs and people who have alcoholism and domestic abuse. Uh, we're like everybody else, uh, but. Because of this um, um, teaching of making the world a better place, uh, it puts an emphasis on education, uh, which is also very important in, in, in Jewish life, um, to, to get an education so that you can contribute to society, because that's the ultimate. And, for, and Judaism has the same growing <clears throat> number of people who are not affiliated uh, with a, a, an organized religious establishment, in our case, synagogues and temples, um, <clears throat> in large part because they see their Judaism um, as, as more universal and that by being involved in the community, by being involved in making the world a better place because of the, their profession, because they get involved in, in, in the political world, et cetera, et cetera, they want to make an impact um, and um, immortality in the Jewish sense, because we don't know what happens after we die, we don't teach what happens after we die. Immortality is gained by being a good person in the here and now, right. Earth, so that people will remember you. Um, and and you know we, we are often cynical about people who leave money to put their name on a building. And I always like to to remind right. them they could have bought another yacht if they wanted to. But instead, <clears throat> they gave money to establish a science center. Or there we go. I'm sorry, we're going to have to no. uh, wrap it up here. Um, I see but the time. Uh, yes, thank you very much for elucidating all these things. Next week, folks, I'm going to interview Imam Omar Suleiman, who's going to talk about Islam. So, but I want to thank Alan for being a wonderful guest today. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And thanks pleasure. for listening, folks. Have a good week. Be safe. Bye-bye now. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 